Welcome into the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're talking about the analytics iceberg. So if you've ever seen an iceberg video on YouTube, uh, it's basically like as you go down layers, it gets more deep and more complex. So I kind of wanted to talk about, I think, my personal journey into analytics, but I think this is generally how people get into first basketball and then stats and then eventually analytics. So I think it starts, right? You start seeing basketball, right? You see some highlights on social media or on SportsCenter, and it catches your eye. Someone does something exciting, maybe a game-winning three or a great dunk, and you start paying a little bit more attention. You start watching some national games. You see uh, points of reference on you know, something like inside the NBA first. You know, it's funny. It's entertaining. You like it. And then they talk about you know, someone scoring a lot of points, something like that. And, you know, you grow more and more uh, interested and you have a favorite player or a favorite team and you start watching their local broadcasts. And on those, they'll talk about points and rebounds and assists. And that leads us to, I would say, the first layer of the analytics iceberg, the box score. All of a sudden, you're like, all right, they're they're keeping all these stats on these players. I've, I've vaguely heard these things. It seems like scoring over 20 points a game is good. It seems like having double-digit rebounds is good. Um, the more assists, the better, right? The more they're doing. That's, that's what we're keeping track of. So you look at the box score of your favorite player. You look up LeBron and you're like, wow, this guy scored a lot of points every year. It seems like it's 25 plus points every season. And you start looking at field goal percentage, which is tracking how often, you know, when they shoot the ball, it goes in the hoop because that's very important. So you have your points, your rebounds, assists, and now you're looking at field goal percentage. And you're like, oh, this is really important. I, I, I really should be paying attention to this. Guys that have a higher field goal percentage, for the most part, are better than guys that have a really low one. And, you know, you keep looking at the box score and you want to see the other players surrounding LeBron. So you go check out those teammate stats. And they're, for the most part, a lot lower. And you're like, oh, wow, that makes sense. LeBron seems really good on TV. And he has a lot more stats than most of the other players on his team. And then you're interested in how LeBron ranks among the other best players in the league. So you pull up their stats and you see that they score a lot of points also, get a lot of rebounds, have a good field goal percentage, get a lot of assists. Not as much as LeBron in most years, but everybody's generally kind of in an upper tier. And then you look at their teammates and you see that they're all a lot lower. And you're like, okay, I'm starting to understand who the better players are, who the worst players are. And it seems like these stats are very, very important. And then you start looking at three-pointers. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, this seems really valuable. When I watch games, when a player hits a lot of threes or a team gets hot from three, it seems really powerful. It seems really strong. So you start looking for the players that field goal percentage is important, but let's see who has a high three-point percentage because it seems like there's a lot of impact there. So you start looking at players that have a very high three-point percentage. You might sort by that by league. And you start coming across these players, they don't have a lot of other stats, but they have a really high three-point percentage, and that seems to be the thing they bring to the table. And that's pretty exciting. And so now you've sort of taken everything you can away from the box score, right? You have points, rebounds, assists, and you have field goal percentage, and then also you now have three-point percentage now. And you sort of do this math equation in your head, right, where you're like, okay, well, this guy's field goal percentage isn't as high as this other guy's, but he does shoot a lot of threes, and he makes a lot of those, so like, I, like it seems like you need a little bump for that, because like I know three-pointers are also really good. So we're going to say this next step, we're going to call this advanced box score stats. So it hits you. 
you learn about effective field goal percentage. You hear somebody say it on podcasts, something like that, you finally look it up, and it changes everything. It takes into account three-pointers being twice as valuable as two-pointers, and it weights them accordingly, and all of a sudden you're looking at all these players' effective field goal percentage, and all these three-point specialists are really valuable. Before you knew, on some level, you were doing some type of weighting where you were like, I, I understand these guys are valuable. It seems like they can knock down open shots. It feels like they can kind of kind of space everything out. The guys have to go out and guard them, which can help your star player. Like you've sort of understood that. And then you look at effective field goal percentage and you're like, oh, wow, some of these guys are a lot better at scoring than some of the big guys that, you know, catch the ball and mostly get dunks or putbacks or things like that. And then you're like, okay, you're starting to think more and you're starting to try to figure out, okay, I'm trying to sort the more valuable players in my head and I'm trying to use all these stats as evidence because I've watched the games, but there's there's so many games every night. This is uh, getting kind of difficult. There's a lot of players. A few seasons have gone by. There's a lot of players coming into the league. There's a lot of players retiring and there's a lot of turnover. So it's hard to stay on top of everything. And then you start looking at certain top players like James Harden and you're like, well, his field goal percentage and his three-point percentage and his combined effective field goal percentage, this new stat I really like, are just okay, but I know he's really good because he's dominating the league right now. He's scoring a ton of points. He has a ton of assists. His team is very good. So something is missing, but I'm not sure what it is, but I know he's better than his box score stats, right? My eye test is telling me that he is better. And you're trying to figure it out and you're not exactly sure. And you're like, should I lower him in the rankings in my head? I see these rankings online. I see rankings on TV. I have my own kind of personal thing. I value players I think are the best. And I'm just not sure. And then you find it. True shooting percentage. And this changes everything because it incorporates twos and threes like effective field goal percentage, but it also incorporates free throws. And it takes all of your scoring opportunities and puts them into a single efficiency number. And now you don't have to juggle like field goal percentage versus three point percentage versus like how the weighting in your head is like you're just kind of eyeballing everything. And one, you realize, oh, I wasn't doing as good of a job as I thought I was. And I guess there's players that are more valuable or less valuable than I thought. And this stat is a really great shortcut because I, I realized efficiency was important, right? When the, I first saw field goal percentage, I was like, this is something we need to track. But then I found a more advanced version in effective field goal percentage. Then I found a more effective version in true shooting percentage. And it's like, oh, free throws. That was the thing I wasn't taking into account with James Harden. And then you look into free throw numbers and, whoa, you realize that star players are shooting so many more free throws than the rest of the league. The really, really top guys in their prime, Giannis, James Harden, uh, things like that, Shaq, they're shooting like 10 free throws a game. And it's like, whoa, most of the other role players are shooting like two or three free throws. So you're getting not only a lot more points, but in a lot of cases, maybe not Shaq, but a lot of other cases, you're getting a big efficiency boost. Uh, Kobe Bryant, he's, he was someone that really benefited from that huge efficiency boost where he took a lot of really difficult two-pointers. I saw those, but he made enough of them to where it was okay and they were hard to defend and there was reasons why you take them. But then when you add the seven, eight free throws a game, that really helps boost his efficiency because his, just his raw field goal percentage 
really isn't that impressive, but the volume is. And then you're like, okay, so true shooting potential. This is really good. So now I've kind of, you know, grew up watching Shaq and Kobe and now LeBron on the Lakers, and I want to compare all of these players. So I pull the points, the assists, the rebounds. Now I pull sh true shooting percentage, and I'm trying to figure out, and, th and then I want to, you know, I'll just go a step further. I want to look at other legends, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Wilt Chamberlain. I want to see who the best players are because I want to use this evidence to try to figure it out because I didn't watch some of those players. There's not even a lot of games from like the 60s that are easily available. And then you're like, wait a second, because you're looking at these box scores for Wilt Chamberlain. He's scoring like 20, or sorry, he's getting the 20 rebounds a game. He's averaging 50 points in a season. And all of a sudden, it's like very, you're more confused than when you didn't have any evidence because you're like, I don't know how to compare these things. It seems like they're not even playing the same game. And then you watch some YouTube videos, you read some articles, and then you realize that they are playing a very different game. Like after they ditched the peach basket, the rules were very different. And you knew there wasn't a three-point line back a long time ago, but you don't really know when it was inter like introduced or added or how it changed things. And you realize like 1980, everything before that was like a different game and the pace was different and the amount of possessions were different. And people on post talk about how you should look at things at a per 75 possession level instead of a per game level because due to the game being played differently, sometimes there was really, really slow eras like in the early 2000s. And then sometimes there was eras where people were just racing up and down the court. So they were having really, really big box score totals. But if you break it down per 75, all of a sudden all the NBA greats, the Mount Rushmores, the Hall of Fame players, they're much more in line than they were But when you were just looking at raw box score stats. However, the true shooting is still off for eras. It's a lot higher now than it used to be. You're trying to figure out why. And then you realize that because the rules were different, and then you watch some highlights for some old games, or maybe even watch an old Bulls game from the 90s, and you see someone get hit with a, a Stone Cold Stunner in the key, and you're like, wait a second, there might have been a reason these guys were shooting a lower percentage. And you find true shooting plus. And what true, okay, so we're gonna go through this again. So effective field goal percentage, or sorry, field goal percentage, just how often the ball goes in. Effective field goal percentage, you add in the bonus for three point shots. True shooting is twos, threes, and free throws. And then true shooting plus just puts it on a scale of where 100 is league average. And then every point you go up, I talk about this all the time on the podcast for good reason, is how many percentage points better than league average you were efficiency wise. So all of a sudden you can compare Larry Bird and LeBron and Michael Jordan, who played in different decades, to each other. And you can compare them relative to how good they were to their peers and rule set, which is really, really important because we can't have them play against each other. They're, they're not the right age. But if you compare them to how good they were compared to their competition, that's where you're really gonna start to understand the level of dominance because I think that's a good way to try to evaluate players. How much are they dominating compared to what they are given as an opponent? And then a little further after that, you find net rating, which is your offensive and defensive rating, how many points you're scoring per 100 possessions, and then your net rating is just 
what you combine those two and it's like, are you net positive or are you net negative? So that sort of wraps up that second layer of advanced box score stats, I'll say. You look at true shooting percentage that turns into true shooting plus. You start looking at net rating of like, what's the offensive rating? What's the defensive rating? What's the net? What are they compared to other teams? Who has the best offense? Who has the best defense? Because when you start looking at things on a per possession basis, it starts making more sense. Because if you're Golden State and you're just blowing out teams by huge point margins and you're not playing your starters in the fourth quarter, like there's going to be some level of other teams, one, creeping back into the game, and then two, they also have large point totals because there's just like a lot of possessions. Because if Golden State is running around hitting a ton of threes, that means the other team is going to like respond on some level with the surplus of possessions. So that is the second layer. Layer three, analytics. So this is, I would say, the layer we are at now. And I talked a little bit about net rating before. We now have on-off data. And that shows you what your player's net rating is when they play or when they sit on the bench. And then this is really, really interesting because there's been guys throughout the league that come off the bench, and a lot of times we describe them as high-energy guys. They come in and they make an impact, and they play, you know, whatever, their eight-minute stint, and then they sit back down, and you feel that jolt of energy come into the game. And those players oftentimes have a positive net rating when they're in the game. Their on-off data is positive. Or, you know, with Golden State, you're blowing out teams. And then in the fourth quarter, maybe the other team makes a little bit of a comeback because your starters aren't in, yada, yada, yada. Steph Curry's on-off data is not affected by that. You really just get that first three quarters and that avalanche at the end of the third where they were just absolutely decimating teams. So there's a little bit of time at the end of the game that isn't messing with his on-off data because he is not on the court. Uh, after that, we have luck adjustments added into things like that. Um, that's pretty new. Uh, opponent three-point percentage can sometimes be random. Opponent free throw percentage can be random. Like, let's say... Steph Curry checks out of the game, sits down on the bench, and the other team misses eight free throws in a row, right? Steph doesn't really affect that in any way, and there is some level of luck whether a team is hitting all their free throws or missing all their free throws. The other night, the Miami Heat were 40 for 40 from the free throw line. That was just some freak thing that happened to the team they were playing against. The team they were playing against didn't, I mean, sure, they might have fouled them a lot, but they didn't affect every single shot going in from the free throw line. So with a luck adjustment for something like that, it can help make things more predictive by taking out just crazy outliers like that. Uh, the next step, PPP, you might have seen this in articles, it's points per possession. So we talked about all the different types of field goal percentage. We ended at true shooting plus, which is again, true shooting, but it makes it really easy to read and compare across eras. And points per possession is the next level of efficiency stat because let's just let's just do an example right you are the minnesota timberwolves you have rudy gobert in the game and you have anthony edwards with the ball he drives help has to come because he beats his man he hits gobert for a dump off gobert brings the ball down and as he goes up to shoot it he gets stripped and the ball bounces off his leg and goes out of bounds it's a turnover it's the other team's ball that isn't taken into account in true shooting in any field goal percentage measure because Rudy hasn't shot the ball yet, so he didn't miss a shot. But the team doesn't have the ball anymore, and they lost that possession. 
that's the value of points per possession because it takes into account turnovers. So if you're a big that gets stripped a lot or if you're a ball handler that has the ball in their hands all the time and it's just generating turnovers because you're trying to play make, that does need to get taken into account and PPP, points per possession, does that. A further breakdown is you can look at different shot types with points per possession. So you can look at how good a player is in transition, in isolation, in spot-ups, and that turnover being taken into account just, again, gives you a fuller picture, just like the jump from field goal percentage to effective to true. Points per possession is just the next logical step of taking in more information and getting a more accurate look at when this player has the ball, is a good thing happening or is a bad thing happening. Uh, after that, lower on the iceberg, you have shot quality. This is a new thing that's really taken off the last few years. There are certain players that have really, really good shot quality because a lot of the time they're not the greatest shooters and the defensive team knows that. So they're going to send more of the defensive resources they have to players that are better at offense and it's going to lead to players getting higher shot quality. You see this a lot with someone like P.J. Tucker standing in the corner. He's getting, a lot of the time, very, very good shot quality because he is a limited offensive player, and if you are playing against that team and you need to stop a superstar, you're going to send more defenders towards that star, leaving P.J. Tucker open. On the flip side of that, other things like Trey Young. Trey Young takes incredibly difficult shots and the shot quality takes that into account so that can be a really useful tool in figuring out kind of what a player's job is or what their performance should be there's a lot of different ways you can use shot quality and it's just a really valuable thing to have after that we have all-in-one metrics i would say this is kind of the holy grail of analytics right now it is taking everything you do on offense everything you do on defense and putting it into a single number a really, really easy thing to use where you can compare players. Because the whole point of this entire podcast, of every box score, of the whole analytics movement, of this iceberg, is to try to figure out which players are more valuable than the other players. And an all-in-one metric is really useful because it's a great way to look at a player, put them in a bucket, and say, this is generally the tier they're in. They're either at the top of the league maybe the middle of the league, maybe the bottom of the league. Because as you've seen, it's it's actually strangely getting easier to look at players with stats or as other people call evidence. Because before, right, we had, you had your points, you had your rebounds, you had your assists, you had your field goal percentage, you had your three-point percentage. And you had to try to like, you, you, were, you didn't know this, but you were building an all-in-one metrics. You have steals, you have blocks. You were building an all-in-one metric in your head and you were trying to keep track of every single player, and you were trying to kind of slot them or tier them and try to figure out who was kind of similar to other players. And it's really, really hard to do. It's hard for everyone. And there's people at it that are a little better, and there's people that are a little worse. And it's also hard because you need to watch a tremendous amount of basketball to incorporate things that the box score is missing. Now, all-in-one metrics are a great shortcut, I would say, for that, where they're, they're estimations of value. It's, it's not this player is the ninth best player. This player is the tenth best player. It's not that exact. It's not really even meant to be. It's being like, hey, this is the tier that this player is in, and that is extremely useful for what it is. So what the all-in-one metrics incorporate is there is a box score component where you take all the box score numbers we classically look at, and you put weighting to all of them. 
and you you do a lot of math to try to figure out like which weighting makes the most sense and then you compare it to uh, I don't know if people know this but when you make all-in-one metrics you check to see like the total value for teams and things like that like what is the most accurate to the results that have happened in previous years so like you're doing testing and I, I feel like sometimes that part is left out that could also be my fault as the host of this podcast we don't talk about the testing a lot but that that definitely does happen so Part of the all-in-one metric is the box score component and adding weighting. So that weighting I was talking about that we were doing in our heads, like you are doing that in this metric and then you're doing math to figure out how accurate this metric is compared to past results. And then the other part of the all-in-one is the on-off data where it's like, okay, when Steph Curry's in the game, the offense seems to be very, very good. It seems to be a lot better than when he's not on the court. And then uh, let's take another example of a player. Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, when he's on the court, it seems like the defense is a lot better. And when he goes to the bench, the defense is worse. So you can use on-off data to capture things that the traditional box score might be missing. So that is how all-in-one metrics work. Obviously, LeBron is a very good one here at Basketball Index. Uh, Other ones like DPM is very good. Uh, EPM is a very strong one. There's a lot of them. Uh, Some of them are a lot older than other ones. Some of them have different components. Some of them have tracking data. Um, some of them are not very good. <laughs> Let's just say that. So uh, it's it can be confusing, and there are a lot of them. But I would say, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, LeBron, baby. Uh, let's talk about stats with built-in context. This is probably the last layer of the iceberg that exists right now. So also for this metaphor, let's just say it's the opposite of... Well, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, let's just say the water is really cold and the iceberg is getting bigger because that's how analytics is working. Like over the last 10 years, we've seen a giant boom in the industry and it's only getting bigger. There's only going to be more data, more information, more accuracy. So there's going to be continued layers. Maybe there'll be a follow up podcast in a few years. But the new thing, and especially here at Basketball Index, is stats with built-in context. So we have a lot of talent stats. If you follow us on Twitter, which you should. Uh, the talent stats have a lot taken into them. So talent is made up of shot, let's say shooting talent overall, right? There's a lot of different talents on the website, but shooting talent is the most broad one. There's shot creation, how much you're generating shots, there's shot making, and there's shot quality. And obviously shot quality is your what your attempts are looking like. And then shot making is how well you shoot relative to that quality. So those are the three components, creation, shot making, shot quality, and then you wrap all that together and it gives you shooting talent. Because the problem with field goal percentage is it doesn't take into account shot quality, right? It doesn't take into account, well, is this person self-creating these looks? Are these the easiest looks in the league? It has no idea. Shooting talent has a lot more information built into it, and it can be a a lot better at, at helping you come to a conclusion on a player. Uh, After that, we have playmaking talent versus assists, right? Assists are just you pass the ball and the box score guy at the stadium decides if that was an advantage that was created. And sometimes it is hard. Uh, But playmaking talent takes into account your passing volume, passes that lead to potential assists, whether or not they go in or not. Uh, Passing quality, what the shot quality of the look is that the player creates. Passing efficiency, how often they're turning the ball over versus successful passes. And then passing versatility, which is all the different types of passes a player is making. Because if you're just like 
hitting cutters in transition, like that's, or I, I guess like people just running the court in transition, like those aren't the most valuable assists. They're good. I, I'm glad you made the pass. I'm glad the team got a layup that was easy, but there are different types of passes that are more valuable and that passing versatility uh, tries to take that into account. Uh, after that, we have rim shot creation versus rim shot making. So how often you're self-generating shots at the rim, because that's really valuable. Uh, rim shot making is how much you're making your shot relative to your shot quality, because, you know, Zion driving into three guys and making it is way more valuable than a big catching a dump off and just dunking the ball. And the advantage created by the passing player did most of the work. Uh, we have some cutting-edge defensive stats, on-ball defense, which is measuring isolation defense by how much you lower shot quality and suppress attempts. And then as we speak, we're adding a matchup difficulty component to that. Uh, so you, you'll see when you're guarding more difficult players, you'll be getting credit for that. Uh, the last part of the iceberg here, we're talking about rim protection. It takes into account your rim defensive field goal percentage versus expected and then the rate at which you're contesting shots at the rim. So before we just had blocks where it was like, if you're blocking two and a half, three shots a game, that's very, very good. But there's so many other shots that get altered or get heavily contested that aren't blocked. Where like you think about it, there's so many possessions in a game. And if a player's only blocking two, two, three shots, that's really not that many like at data points throughout an entire game. But if it's every shot you're contesting, that's a much larger sample size, and that is obviously going to be way better. So if you're making it really hard on people to score around the basket, if their field goal percentage is going down on shots you try to alter or block, that is really valuable, and this stat aims to capture that. So, you know, it's really with analytics, it's not telling you what you do know. It's telling you what you don't know where Jaron Jackson Jr. is blocking an absurd amount of shots this year. I think it's over three a game. You don't really need rim protection to tell you that he's probably one of the best players in the league at that. But if you're looking at maybe all the forwards or all the guards in the league, that can be really helpful. I know Jalen Brown is a really good rim protecting guard, and that can help add additional value to a team. Also, Derek White, very good. They're both on the Celtics. You get a number of those guys on the same team that can really benefit your defense. So there's so many layers to this iceberg, and there's so many ways that analytics can be so helpful. And I kind of want to just talk about the, the iceberg you go down as a as a fan because it's a lot of fun, honestly. I remember looking at box scores like day and night in high school. And now the basketball index data, like this is crazy data, guys. This is the same data used by agents and NBA teams. Like this stuff is really valuable and also really fun to use. And it's five bucks a month. So head on over to the website and start using it. It's like a lot of fun. You can also put together really detailed podcasts about basketball. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the iceberg. My name is Taylor and we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.